working on wellness, Health and Mind's bi-weekly wellness podcast, where we discuss wellness through the lenses of mindfulness, mental health, nutrition, sleep, exercise, and healthy relationships. We're happy you're with us today as we meet with Health and Mind's very own Charlotte Harvey to discuss the effects the pandemic has had or may have had on the social, developmental, and educational landscape that many children are just now entering. Charlotte has had years of experience both as an elementary school teacher and a mental health practitioner. We'd like to remind you that you can learn more about the six tenets of wellness and how to get connected get with us here at Health yeah. and Mind by clicking the link in the show notes. Charlotte, welcome back on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Excellent. Yeah, we're happy you're here. And um, I, I feel like you're a really great person to talk to about this as you have had um, experience in both of these areas. And I'm sure you've got plenty of friends that are teachers and plenty of friends that are therapists. And you've probably heard it from your own experience and others. So let's just start off with what is it like right now for kids going back into school? What, what's been the general trend you've you've been seeing? Um. For kids, I think that they're returning to a sense of normalcy um, for most kids. I would say for younger kids, this is some, for some of them, this is their first experience of being in a school building because they started school during the pandemic. Um, so they have not had any experience in a school setting. So for some students, this is new, but for other students, because most schools are returning to, have returned to fully in person, um, this is a sense, returning to a sense of normalcy for them. Um, I think that um, there've been a lot of trends, a lot of things that we've seen in the classroom. Um, I think one of the things that, that is, has stood out is that learning can happen anywhere, um, if that makes sense. Um, I think the days of uh, snow cancellations and things like that are gone. <laughs> Um, because we can log into our computers, we have these virtual platforms um, that we can log into and have students still learn um, in spite of not being in the school building. Um, but I think that there is a sense of normalcy that we are returning to, but I think there's also a period of adjustment that we're seeing um, students adjusting to having to interact with people in person again because they have been out of having to do that for so long. Um, so having to interact with the teacher in person, having to interact with other students. Um, and as I said, for some students who've never been in a school building, they've only interacted and learned through a virtual platform, that is a very big adjustment. There are a lot of adjustments while still trying to return to this sense of normalcy from prior, you know, pre-pandemic. There is a lot of adjustment happening um, in the classroom for students, teachers, I think for everyone, <laughs> everyone in the school building, a lot of adjustment going on. Absolutely. And what you mentioned about how kids have not really been interacting with people, that's not like, you know, Johnny took two years off of soccer and now he's trying to pick it back up. The yeah. Socialization is so primary. And mm -hmm. as you mentioned, that's not been happening. And that's, of course, an adjustment. You mentioned the teachers are adjusting as well. What's that adjustment been like specifically for kids who have spent the last two years at home and now are entering a school building for the first time? They've got classmates, they've got a teacher that's kind of like mom and dad, but but also kind of not because they're giving me homework and they're they're with me. Like what's <laughs> how are kids adjusting to that so far? Um, you know, it, it's it's funny. I think that it it's different for for all kids. You know, I think that some kids um, are learning to 
to be social after not being social for so long. I think for some kids, it can create a lot of anxiety for them because they're now in this environment where they have to interact with people and that's not something that's familiar for them. And so now I'm having to interact with people, you know, it's gone from just seeing people on the screen to having to actually interact with these people. <laughs> and, um, you know, some, some kids are social butterflies and they just blend right into that. And some kids, it's like, whoa, I, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to communicate with these people in person. I don't know how to, um, you know, communicate with the peer, especially, you know, for people who may not have other children in their home. You know, if, if I'm an only child and I've never interacted, ne never really had to socialize or interact with other children or other adults outside of mom and dad, I don't know how to do that. Yeah, I think there's also the separation part for some children. Sure, um, sure. Being separated from mom and dad after being with them for such an extended period of time. If I've never been into a, a, a daycare setting or a camp setting or anything like that, this is completely new. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that depending on the child's experiences outside of the school building, um, that adjustment can be a positive one or it can be anxiety provoking. That's something I was hoping to talk to you about was obviously there's a different, there's a spectrum to how people are gonna adjust to it. What would you recommend for parents of children that are having a tough time getting comfortable with this adjustment? Are there ways in which they can help? Are there ways in which they can talk to the teacher to help out? Um, I would say creating opportunities for your children to connect, whatever that might look like. So that might look like taking your kid into the school building to maybe meet their teacher in advance, to spend some time getting to know their teacher before, you know, before the new school year starts. I know that we've kind of transitioned back into in-person right now, but I think that this is gonna be something that we dealing with the effects of that. I think that that's gonna be a lasting thing for some people. So um, having, you know, creating these opportunities for your kids to connect, whether it's with other children, whether it's with other adults, um, you know, and for some kids that may have to be a slow transition. So whatever that looks like, you know, parents know their kids best. You know, parents know their kids best. So hopefully, <laughs> yes, <laughs> creating opportunities that don't throw, just throw your kids into a situation that creates a lot of anxiety, but maybe slowly introducing them to these types of connections so that when that time comes that they have to be in this setting, it's a little less overwhelming. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I think that's really wise to point that out because we sort of creep into it naturally outside of the pandemic and outside of this, you know, change with technology, we went from, you know, um, being at home, maybe having a couple kids come over, pre-K mm -hmm. into kindergarten. Now I'm in an elementary school. I'm interacting with kids from different grades. Now, okay, now I'm in a middle school where there's a bunch of freedom. This progression happens really naturally. And we've had a very unnatural thing happen where we've taken children out of their social environment. And yes. now, as you're pointing out, we're sort of plugging them back in and if they don't have the tools to make that connection back, they're going to go, well, what am I, what am I supposed to do? As you were pointing out, um, I, I, something came to mind, uh, I believe it was Piaget noted that children couldn't tell you the rules of a game, but if they were all together, they could play the game and follow the rules. Mm -hmm. And what I 
being to say by that is we are social creatures in the sense that we learn from watching others and interacting with others and some of that stuff is really really deep and it's school in my opinion is not really about getting there and getting all the marks and making sure i can i know that eight times eight is 64. it's knowing how to navigate that social space so um that challenge that we're discussing is a super big one to to get over to get over that hump and part of me fears if it's possible to undo all of the damage from it um i know that for that if a child doesn't learn how to socialize by a certain age they become pretty antisocial for the rest of their lives um and so i wonder if the effects will be permanent or hopefully they're not but we don't really know um have do you have any opinions or guesses about that or is you have you heard any um I have not heard much discussion about that, nor do I have, you know, any expert opinion about that. <laughs> um, I, but I agree with you. We would hope that it would not be permanent mm -hmm. um, and that, that children are able to adjust. But we know that the reality is it's possible that for some children, that, uh, that ability to adjust to now being back in person and now being required to socialize, um, you know, that that may not be as easy for some kids. And so we're hoping that the, 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 the damage as you refer to it is not permanent, but of course we really have no way of knowing um, at this point. I, I haven't really heard a lot of um, yeah. talk about the, the social aspect of it. Of course, there's discussion about the academic part of it. You know, what has happened academically and you know, how do we fix this? And is, is this going to be a lasting impact? Um, and there's been talk about the social impact of it, but the lasting part of it, how, how long that lasts, I don't think that there's, I have not, I will say, mm -hmm. heard a lot of discussion about that. Right. Well, it's a, it's a scary thing to talk about, and we're also so close to it that it's kind of pointless to try to, to guess, but it, it's something I've thought about um, mm -hmm. as I think about how important it was for me growing up to be around people a lot and and learn from them and just to take that off it's it's really just incredible to think that that's happened but um as you're bringing up the educational parts of it um i want to know how kids are performing in the schools now versus how they were pre-pandemic is there any anything we know about that yet um so i have been out of the classroom fully completely for about a year mm -hmm. um and so from most schools i know that this is the first full year back with everyone in person last year was kind of choppy the year started virtually and then we kind of transitioned into having some kids come back and then there was an opportunity for more kids to come back but parents could still opt to have their kids at home virtually um, essentially um through the end of the previous school year not the school year that we just ended but the previous um and i will say that i think that academic performance um was lower during the pan pandemic than, of course, pre-pandemic. I would imagine, based on my experience, that academic performance is improving. Um, however, we still have to consider the impact of the pandemic. Um, we'd like to believe that students learn just as much at home virtually as they do when they're in the classroom. But the reality is not everyone learns the same way. And 
And um, there was one of the things that I noticed is that even for children who performed really well pre-pandemic, learning virtually was an adjustment because you're not just learning the material. Now I have to learn to navigate this virtual learning platform and I have to learn how to choose the right answers. And I have to choose all of these, learn all of these things, which leads to frustration for the kids, which leads to more anxiety for the kids and all of that impacts their academic performance. And so now we're transition, transitioning them back into the classroom. Um, and while they are learning new material, it would be expected that there, there may possibly be some gaps which impact academic performance um, because it's hard to learn the new concept if I haven't mastered the, the foundation. That, and if I'm trying to learn that foundation virtually but I don't know how to choose the right answer and I don't know how to maneuver this then it's very possible that I'm missing out on some things and so I would say that academic performance is is has been um lower than pre-pandemic um but of course the hope is that after returning in person that academic performance is is important Right, it'll ramp back up because the methods we were using prior to the pandemic will be back in effect. Um, mm -hmm. But something that you're pointing out is that if that foundation was not had and mm -hmm. we're trying to build on this shaky foundation, mm -hmm. that's where you could kind of see the long-term effects probably. The long, longer-term effects, yeah. If that's not, yeah, if, if you're not caught up somehow there. Another thing I was thinking about too, when you're, you know, you're discussing navigating this new platform with, within learning at home on the computer. I thought, how about the background? <laughs> like I teach music, right? And I see dogs running by, you got parents, kids yelling mm -hmm. in the background. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times, again, this is from my own personal experience, the environment I'm in will really dictate how productive I am, how clued in I am. And some kids would do really well being in a classroom, their desk facing the teacher, not at a swivel chair where they can turn to, you know, whoever's in the room. So that was just another aspect to it that really made it challenging. all of those things play yeah around. <laughs> yeah um i don't i think it's really uh it's amazing that we got through it the way we it did i'm really happy it was only two years and that this wasn't this mm -hmm. didn't become the new normal as people were saying um although i'd like to get into that a little bit more later too about how we do have a new normal it's not quite yeah. as stark as we thought it might have been you know in the mm -hmm. midst of the pandemic but it, it's here um, something I want to transition to was, was talking about the teachers a little bit. Um, how are the teachers doing with all of this change and their expectations that have been placed on them? Um, I think that it, it's a very, um, for, I can't speak for all teachers, but for many teachers, I think that it is a very um, stressful time. Um, just because we're trying to navigate kind of what we were talking about it almost feels like you're playing catch up. You have to kind of make sure that they have those foundational skills while also getting them to where they need to be for this school year. Um, and so I think there are a lot of expectations on teachers to kind of help students get. Um, and that can be overwhelming, that can be stressful. Um, and so learning to navigate that, but also for teachers who think that technology is playing a much bigger role than maybe it has in the past. Mm, okay. And so for teachers who may have been teaching, you know, 20, 30 years, technology may not have been a major, major part of their classroom. 
but now they're having to learn how to integrate that into what they have always done, you know? So with the techniques I've always used, now there's this learning curve because now I have to learn how to use this so that I can teach my students how to navigate and maneuver. And so I think that there are a lot of new expectations that have been placed on teachers to navigate this new technological learning platform that we're that we're operating on mm. because it, it's not going to go away i think it's the, i think that there are some new norms in the classroom now yeah. um you know there's an option to have students complete you know that idea of having students complete uh, a worksheet that i'm just going to make copies of well now we have to figure out how to put that same information into a google doc or into a google form and have students complete it virtually because you know that's what we've been doing now for the past two years learning how to use that google platform and i know that not all schools use google there's uh Oology and a lot of other different um, platforms that you can use um but i think uh, the other one is canvas i think is another platform that that people use and so now a lot of schools are there's an expectation that we continue to use within our classrooms and so there's the learning curve for teachers while also trying to play catch up and do all of those things. And so I definitely think that it, it can be an over overwhelming time for teachers. But I also think that teachers, a lot of teachers are managing it well. They're they're adjusting. You know, there's an adjustment period for everyone. And I think that teachers are adjusting and learning how to implement all of these new new norms and these new things into their classroom. Wow. I hope that the parents give a lot of grace to both their kids and the teachers during this transition because this sounds really difficult all the way around. And when you have both the teacher and the child under more stress than they're typically used to, that can make their personal connection tougher. Um, it can make listening to one another and showing up with a positive attitude, it can make it all more difficult. Um, I'm really happy to hear that you've seen, despite the stress that teachers are adapting, you know, they're, they're doing it. They're, they're making the adjustments that they need to that's really great to hear. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of teachers maybe never needed to use technology in their whole careers other than maybe a computer to send out emails. And now, as you're saying, it's it's almost like a hybrid. It's like everything's kind of run through. And I know, I know that many schools, a Chromebook is standard. Everybody gets a Chromebook. That was not the case when I was coming along. <laughs> Very, yes, not at all. No, we were And doing. I think that that, that became more of a norm in in the pandemic i think that there were already some schools that were doing it mm -hmm. but i think that for smaller schools i come from a small much smaller school district um and so in the districts that i that i was in it was not necessarily originally that wasn't um wasn't a norm for everyone to have a Chromebook. but right. now even in those smaller school districts that's much more of a norm that every student has a chromebook or has access to a chromebook um you know, students are assigned Chromebooks that they can take home with them and they can do homework through the Chromebooks. So that kind of goes along with what I was talking about as far as, you know, worksheets and paper and things like that. We're not using as much of that because now everything is done through those virtual learning platforms. Yeah, so the technology is here to stay and it's yes. probably only, only gonna get greater unless mm -hmm. we get a bunch of literature discussing how technology is destroying our mental health. That's probably <laughs> just a little, little side theory of mine, but I, yeah. I know that there are positives <laughs> to it. And I work with children who I can tell by interacting with them, spend mm -hmm. most of their time in the virtual world. Mm -hmm. And as a result, um, 
they've created some incredible things. They've created music. They've created video games on their own. I'm talking about nine and ten year olds with their own little worlds they've created. They're connecting with friends. They're they're playing video games. They're they're really it's their world, and and you know it's it makes me feel like a dinosaur, but that's okay because that's what happens, <laughs> I, right? I, yeah, I definitely feel like that sometimes too. Good. I'm going on the only one. So I want to talk a bit about the positives and negatives that we've seen so far or might be seeing in the future with regards to this technology, the technology's place within schools and maybe just in life in general, too. Yeah. Um, so I think that you pointed out a lot of the positives that, you know, learning to navigate in this technological world, um, technology is not going anywhere. And so children are learning to be able to do things that at nine and 10 years 10 years old, I would have never imagined trying to even attempt. And so they're developing these skills that are definitely going to be necessary in life. Um, but then there's also, as you said, the negatives. Um, a lot of children don't know how to connect and have conversations in person. You know, they can connect and make friends in the virtual world just fine. Yeah. But when it comes to making those those connections, those real life connections or communicating with people, that's where some of the difficulty comes in because they're only able to do those types of things virtually. They don't have the skills to be able to have those interpersonal relationships outside of the technological world. Um, and so I think that that, and again, this is my opinion, but I think that that is one of the biggest negatives that children are not learning how to socialize and interact in the, in I don't want to say the real world, but in the real world, outside of the technological world. Yeah, I love that we're sort of getting at this impasse here where our generation that really has experienced the real world mostly and mostly connected with the people face to face or in groups and in person are sort of discussing the positives and negatives of this brand new generation that's mostly technology. And you sort of run into this issue of they might not even value face-to-face interaction. I know some of them don't from, from talking to them. Yeah. But we feel, and we've experienced it as being extremely important, that data that you and I were talking about before we got online about how mental health has declined steadily from like the late 1990s all the way till today. This is before the pandemic. We've seen this decline. Um, I assume, right, again, it's my opinion, that we'll eventually figure out that this has to do with our lack of connection and our increase in technology because at the end of the day, we are social animals and the way we've evolved socially has been face-to-face, in person, in groups, within a hierarchy, within jobs, we perform certain roles with one another. And so when you pull out the face-to-face part of that, the touch, the mm-hmm. uh, the laughter, like everything that happens in this immediate space, I, I feel that something's lost, but I can't put my finger on the proof of it because it seems like this technology is meeting a lot of those needs you can send emojis you can hear each other you can see even a virtual uh, character you've created and and express yourself that way there's a bunch of pseudo ways of connecting (laughs) maybe that's the word that's where i'm using they might not they might say that that's a genuine way of connecting to me it seems like a spinoff of the real thing um Mm -hmm. i guess i struggle to articulate why the real thing is so important um, but this data, that's what I'm pointing to. I'm saying that I think eventually we're going to see that that data is connected to this isolation that's created through yeah. technology. I, I agree. I definitely think that there is a lot of isolation. I agree with hundred percent. 
with what you're saying. I think that I agree that data will probably show the same thing, that isolation is leading to the decline in mental health. Um, I, I definitely agree that I can't really put my finger on it. And I think, you know, we probably grew up in, a, in, similar, in, in the same generation. And so that need for, or that, that, yeah, that need for in-person interaction and socialization is so important to us. Um, and so, so when I identified that as a negative, as you said, some, some people might not see that as a negative. So that's why I wanted to stretch, you know, this is, this is my, my view, you know, it doesn't represent, <laughs> represent anyone else's view, but I do, I do believe that um, there are things that are going to require, you know, school requires people, requires these students to interact in person. You know, that is a, I'm, I'm in a classroom with, 15 other students and I have to be able to interact with them. I have to be able to communicate with my teacher. I have to be able to communicate with the people around me. And again, technology is wonderful and it's, it's opening so many doors and so many opportunities, but I do think that it's taking away that ability to be able to do that, to communicate effectively, to socialize and interact. Yes. Yeah, and um, as you were speaking, the, the word came to mind, um, empathy. I think that's part of the communication or maybe an aspect of the communication that feels like it's been lost. I think you can still logistically communicate what you want or what the plan is. Like you can get the information there, but, but an empathetic nature um, or, or just thinking outside of yourself in general, I, I find is challenging for some kids past the developmental age in which it shouldn't be so difficult. Um, that's something that I've heard from um, one of the teachers I know talked about how children ages three and four are exhibiting, or sorry, children ages five and six are exhibiting behaviors of children three and four that you typically see as far as, um, you know, the anger with not getting your way and not understanding why you have to share and, um, some delays with speech that you know you typically see go away by age nine or ten are still there and in, in, in issues with enunciation so it's cool that you and i are both seeing the same thing even though we might not have our finger totally on it we're seeing these we're seeing these issues that are there and it seems like you and i both agree that the solution is likely connection real face-to-face -face connection and so i always bring it back to the parents because i think parents are chiefly in charge of their child's lives because at the end of the day they do get to choose their boundaries i mean it, there's a lot of things challenging that like you know their kids friends parents or the school or whatever they see on a screen but at the end of the day i think that they're the main arbiters of what my child gets to interact with and what my child um what's in my child's space so my next question is what sort of barriers or regulations um boundaries would we encourage parents to place on technology use if any we might say that you know, for, you know I um know. <laughs> yeah i think i think that this is kind of a, a subject where you kind of got to tiptoe around because ultimately parents make that make That's that right. decision for them That's for right. their children however i do think that um you know implementing screen time um limitations so because children, they're exposed to technology all day at school and then they come home and they're on a computer all day or they're on video game all day. So having some screen time limitations after that 
that, you know, our, however much time, whatever that looks like, parents decide on what that screen time limitation is, but encouraging their children to do some things outside of that, you know, go play, go, you know, use your imagination, read a book, do something outside of the technology, because I'm in no way saying that technology is a bad thing, but expose your kids to something other than that, you know, expose them, you know, present them with some things that maybe they wouldn't or ordinarily be presented with so you know like a game that uses their imagination um like i said reading a book yeah. most kids don't just pick up a book and read anymore that doesn't happen very often because you know i can i can read a book on my phone or i can read a book on my computer but giving them an actual book to hold in their hand where they can turn the page um, you know, getting their minds thinking critically and then creating those opportunities for them to interact and socialize with other children. So arrange play dates, have them you know, instead of staying home and playing on a video game, maybe have them have a play date with, with a neighbor or a cousin or someone around their age that, that prompts that connection in their interaction. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It requires, that's the crazy part about this now, Charlotte, is it requires work on the parents' part to have opportunities for their children to connect outside of video games because it's so much easier to hand them a screen and they can connect to anything on it. If you have an iPad, if you have a laptop, you can get to anywhere, connect with anybody. But to go on a play date, you've got to schedule a time. You got to make sure yeah. the place is open. You got to drive your kid there. They got to they got to, you know, go out there and play and, and make something of that time. I don't know. There's it's more difficult, but um, what you're encouraging is variation you're mm -hmm. encouraging real connection and mm -hmm. you're not saying it needs to be this amount of time it's just maybe maybe think about <laughs> some sort of limitations or some some sort of plan outside of we're just going to hand them a um a device and uh, i think that i would i think that I'd, I'd agree with that i would go even probably a step further and again this is like me speaking hypothetically as a parent <laughs> of course um i think the idea i think kids having a cell phone uh honestly before the age of 15 is like ridiculously dangerous i'll probably end up doing that i don't even know what we'll have by the time i have a 15 year old <laughs> but um i know i got my first cell phone at 13 and because technology wasn't such a great part of my uh my world it's like i had the phone to text people when i was home after school but at school i was there i was at sports whatever it didn't take that big of a toll but i think it's even more dangerous now that most kids, it seems like, are always on the device. Your child will probably be on the device a lot too. And so just thinking about how if you give this kid a phone or you give this kid a computer, what's it going to become to them? And what is sacrificed by the amount of time that they're spending on that? And is that the healthiest thing for your child? I think that's probably what we'd encourage parents to do is to make choices that are gonna help the development of your child, both socially, educationally, um, you know, um, as a citizen too, like just, um, you want to think about all those aspects of, of being a person because children are growing and their growth is, <laughs> it's so much exponentially, um, more important than as you get older, because the, as you know, I mean, you're, you're a child expert when you're developing anything that goes on can be, uh, can be carried out for years and years and years. And so these are really important times. So I'm glad we both stressed the importance of variation, getting outdoors, vitamin C, all of that. Um, these are things parents know, but um, it's just so easy. If everybody else is 
grabbing a device and that's what your kid's asking you for. Um, and of course they want to. I mean, it's, I'm sure that's going to be in the literature too is how addicting these things are. But I digress. Um, okay, so we've talked, about, <laughs> we've talked about the pandemic. We've talked about the increase in technology. Um, it's not all doom and gloom. There's some amazing benefits to technology and things that it allows you to do. Um, and we see that the teachers are learning to adapt and to integrate both in-person aspects of learning and the technology. And um, so we've got a lot of we got a lot of things on the table. And I think it's just going to take time for us to see how things pan out. And um, what I'd like to wrap up with uh, today is any other things that we want to offer up to parents regarding steps to take um, to help their kids with this transition, help them with school, um, any sort of like maybe rattling off like a list of recommendations that you would give just kind of off the cuff. Um, yeah, uh, I feel like I've given like a lot of the recommendations that I would give. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the, the counselor in me wants to remind parents to give themselves and to give their children some grace. This has been an adjustment mm-hmm. for everyone. Um, and we are still very much still adjusting. Things have changed and then they have changed again. So, you know, giving yourself some grace, you know, we were just talking about implementing, you know, screen time or some variation and things like that. And even in that aspect, parents giving yourself some grace that sometimes it is just easier to give them, give them the device, um, you know, but when there is the time to, to do something other than that, take advantage of that. But we understand that there's so many things still going on, going on that it's not always easy to just say, hey, we're gonna do a play date. That's not always easy. You know, time doesn't always allow for that. So I think that that's the recommendation I wanna give. Give yourself grace, give everyone grace. We're all adjusting. We're all going through this together. We're all going through the same things. You know, it may look different um, for some of us, but we're all, experiencing or coming out of or however we want to look at that um the pandemic so just show some grace to everyone teachers students parents everyone show some grace love it love it um i'll throw i'll throw mine in there i got like a i got a a tag word as well that i'll throw in there you got grace i'm saying i'm gonna say um connection Mm -hmm. make the space to connect with your friends your children um people in the community prioritize that even though it's not making you a certain amount of money even though you might feel okay today I don't need to go to make it a part of your life to connect with others Um, and that's just that's just a part of what we need as people we need to exercise we need to eat healthy we need to sleep and we need healthy relationships and now I'm naming the six tenets you got it you got to have these parts in your life and so um, kids need it you need it everyone um, Everyone can drop their shoulders a bit more when they get that. And so that would be my recommendation for all y'all. Charles, is there anything we didn't hit on that you'd like to like to say before we wrap up today? No, I think we we did a great job covering everything. I just want to thank you for having me. Um, um, I really appreciate the invitation and, and the platform to be able to share. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for being here. Um, thank you for sharing some of your wisdom and all the experience that you've had and, um, 
really stoked to hear that you and I are seeing certain things in a similar light because again in this world where we're all in our own worlds it's hard to know a general narrative <laughs> where we're all at so that's cool um, so great so the last person we need to thank is our, our listeners so thank you guys all for for being here with us today feel free to follow us on Spotify for or Google podcast for more episodes for any questions comments or concerns you may have you can email us at intern at healthandmind.net. Lastly, don't forget that we're on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook at H-I-M-R-V-A. And all you do, keep your health in mind.